Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Mick DSP, professional audio plugins. For over 15 years, Mick DSP has continued producing industry-acclaimed and award-winning software titles. The podcast is also brought to you by Slate Digital, all the pro plugins, one low monthly price, and now your hosts, Joey Sturges, Joel Wanasek, and Al Levy. Hey guys, welcome to Tips and Tricks. We've got Kane Churko here. Kane, how you feeling? Feeling good. Good. We've got some rapid fire questions for you as well as talking about some insider stuff, kind of your sure. preferences on what you like to do and, you know, tips and yeah. tricks. So Yeah, let's do it. Well, hey, before we get into that, Kane, you're a huge proponent of DF Excite. Why don't you tell us what you're using it on and what you're liking? Yeah, no, I mean, to be honest, I've had it for um, maybe two or three weeks now or a month or so. And um, I use it on every mix, um, always on my drum bus, sometimes an extra one maybe on my overheads or my rooms. I've used it on just hat. I've thrown it on lots of percussion tracks, and like especially especially if there's like stereo loops and stuff like that. I find it's you know, just quick at bringing out, just carving those things out better. And um, I've thrown it on guitar. I've thrown it on bass. <laughs> but isn't it so great on loops, though? That's that's where I think it really helps. I think so, too. Especially, I, I had one session. Um, it was perfect timing, because it was like one of the first things I tried to plug it out on. And it was a rock, rock session that I got that someone else produced. Um, I won't say who. But it was all made of stereo drum loops that were like different kits and just, you know, four hands at once and stuff like that. It was kind of a nightmare um, trying to... The whole song? <laughs> yeah, like 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 literally I was sending them a note, a note back saying, actually, can you send me the drum multi-tracks? And I got a note back saying there there is none. They just produced the song with these stock drum loops that they just cut up and... Octopus and, drummer. <laughs> and a well-known producer who got paid good and all that stuff. Uh, so it always just blows my mind when I get stuff like that or whatever. I mean, there's always, there's always something, but that was a whole other league of... Of terrible, but um, it, it, you know it's great for situations like that where I still liked like their hat that was in their stereo loop, and even though I added all my other samples as the, kind of the, the foundation of the kit, so I could mix things a little better. It was great at sort of like carving out you know their overheads and stuff within those loops, and kind of you know making a lot with a with a, with a little. I think what makes it so great is it's a good broad stroke tool where I can carve something in a lot of different ways really quickly with just a few knobs and I don't have to think about it too much and you know it's 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 great like that as well as um, I mean I, I try to use it in a way where if I EQ and do all my treatment to something as much as I like it and I get my whole drum mix down in as good as I think I can and then I throw that on there and just try to see if I can make it better and I find I, if I can make it always 5% better just by moving you know one or two of four knobs then then heck yeah i'm gonna use it on every mix (laughs) (laughs) well that's awesome to hear we're glad that you like it yeah it sort of is that that magic finalizer that you can put on your drum bus or whatever it is your loop or whatever that kind of gives you that extra five percent and i i hope that you know anyone listening to this or whatever can see that's kind of what we were aiming for it's kind of hard to convey that obviously but uh I'm just glad that you found it and that it worked well for you. No, those are first, my, my favorite kinds of plugins are, are things like that, especially like new things like that. I mean, I don't need another version of an EQ or a, another yeah. version of a compressor and stuff. Because you've already got your favorites. I already got my favorites and I got 
10 different favorites to choose from. So so it's like my favorite plugins are sort of the things that have a little more voodoo to them. And they don't have to do something miraculous. They just have to consistently make something a little bit better. And, you know, my favorite plugins are the things that take very little work to and make something a little better every time. Well, let's talk about some of your favorite plugins. Yep. Aside from DFX Site, of course, I love, uh, I, lo- I love all the Slate plugins, Slate Digital, VCC, VTM, VMR, the whole suite that they have. Um, everything's just really good and to me sounds really good and looks nice and, and all that too. I love DSP stuff. Um, they make a lot of good things that I use on every mix. Um, I probably depend on their bundle for the most number of plugins. And uh, you know, I love their automated EQ. I think it's the AE400 or something. It's great. I use that on tons of things, vocals, guitars, drums. Uh, I love the Futz box. I use Futz box probably almost every mix in some sort of way, even just like on a drum bus and stuff to dial in a, a little bit of nastiness into the mix of the drum bus and stuff. For lo-fi vocals, telephone vocals, uh, lo-fi sounding guitars, it's it's it, it's a good tool for uh, for someone who makes a lot of industrial music. You know, I mean, Trigger, of course, was a lifesaver when I found that and didn't have to manually replace drum samples anymore. Were you doing the tab to transient copy paste? Like, yep. And I had it set up as a quick key with quick keys back then before there was like batch commander and stuff, so I could just type one button and it would do the macro and go, you know, lay the sample 500 times across the, tra- the, tra- the transient or whatever. What do you think about Stephen Slate's Batch Commander? Wonderful. I'm, I'm still at the beginning of really like dialing everything I want to do into it. But um, I mean, that's, that's probably one of the best th- tools you can get, it, you know, t- to be honest, just as far as time saving. And if you're like me who, and you like shortcuts and you like, you know, you just don't like wasting time. I mean, I, I count how long it, takes to turn my computer on and if yeah. it's and if, and, 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 if I, and if and if I gotta turn that computer on three hundred and sixty five times a year, let alone crashes and stuff, and it's and I save more money by buying a new computer than I'm gonna buy a new computer, you know, to save me an extra 30 seconds of startup time every day or whatever. Absolutely. So. Well, I think the first step to uh, making a workflow more efficiently is to get something like the batch commander or a quick keys or some kind of automator because there are a lot of repetitive tasks involved in doing what we do and the first step is eliminating all of those and making the computer do the work especially if you're a pro tools user because there's no way to script that stuff in to pro tools you have to use a third-party application like quick keys or batch commander now, if you're on Cubase, you've got your built-in logical editor, which is great. Also, uh, macro editor and key command editor. But the Pro Tools guys aren't as lucky. So, Quick Keys, Batch Commander, those things are all really great. Is Quick Keys still in development? No, the guy died oh, oh, years wow. ago. That's why the development stopped. Um, so, it's kind of frozen in time. I, I mean, Batch Commander definitely works way better for me than Quick Keys did. But and yeah, I mean it's it's amazing. I mean I, I'll I'll use it for simple things, even just to like move MIDI up or down an octave, and you know just you know little things that I do a bunch of times all the time. You know I, I've been trying to make my own little little presets and stuff. So the name of the game is save as much time wherever possible in any way, shape, or form. Think like a programmer and break everything down that you have to do to a sequence of steps and try to minimalize it to the least amount of steps possible <laughs> to do that whatever it is whatever you do you know i mean that's there's nothing more valuable than your own time and you're just wasting your own time if you're not 
trying to make everything as as uh, functional and efficient as possible with, without sacrificing Man, anything. Truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> <laughs> and since you do a lot of writing, I'm sure that you being an I guess ultimate flow state is super important. And if you're wasting yes. a bunch of time with just making the computer do things that will interfere with your flow state. Completely. I mean, you know, usually I'm doing everything at once lots of the time. When I'm writing, I'm still kind of producing it at the same time and everything. So it's very important for me to stay sort of creative and uh, and in the, in, in the zone, you know, the whole time and stuff. So, um, you know, definitely, um, you know, making things easy and functional and making sure everything works ahead of time. I mean, I, I hate even when I'm working in a room that's too big and I have to get out of my chair to go get a guitar. I just, I just want to turn left and grab my guitar. And, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and pick it up. And I just want to turn right and sing background vocals into the mic as I'm thinking of them on the spot. And, I, you know, I'm very much, you know, in the, in the beginning of working on something, I'm trying to go as fast as I can without getting hung up on anything. And for me, most of a song kind of comes out of, uh, out of that and then it's like the last 20% of it you know takes 80% of the time and that's the tweaking and the mixing and the sorting out all the stuff I did really quickly and making you know re- redoing what I need to and you know re- reverse engineering anything I need to and stuff and it's it's usually more important to ca- just capture 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 um, and, until you can't. So do you have everything perma-routed? For the most part. I mean I've always at least got everything I need uh, to, to sing and to, to play guitar ready to go and we always have a drum kit ready and you know I got all my MIDI controllers and stuff ready to go all the time and of course session templates so I have you know you know, a bass plug-in open and a drum kit open and an electronic kit open and every kind of percussion. I think that's huge percussion thing I need right away. So so instantly we got you know loops and percussion behind what we're writing to and you know just you know maybe things that are like a little random like stylus or something. Yeah, what are your some of your favorite programs that you use? For example, you just mentioned Stylus, which is something I absolutely freaking love. I know it's really old, but that's yeah, like one yeah. of my favorite libraries. Yeah, no, I mean, I, mean, I like things like like that that will maybe inspire something um, unexpected. Like if I'm just playing a random loop and you know randomizing the groove or whatever, and all of a sudden find like a cool groove I like, or I'm just jamming to to it, and or have a guitar player jamming to it, and I'm just cycling through different things and. You know, we just kind of just just jamming, really, a lot of the time. And, you know, tools that inspire that or at least uh, being able to really quickly put together sort of a bed that sounds like production, I find is really inspirational to the process for the artists because they're maybe not using their imagination as much for the, you know, listening to the production and stuff. And I'm, you know, I, I can be like, oh, I don't, we don't need bass yet. We'll put that on at the end because that doesn't matter to write in a good song. We just need to write, <laughs> you know, a good melody, good words, good top line, good chords. We can figure out where all the chug-a-chug-chugs on the guitar are after and, you know, where, where you want the nuances of, of the beats and stuff to, to, to be. But let's just get this really big picture sort of like sketch, I guess, of, you know, of the song almost like... You know, let's get a pencil sketch as quick as we can, and then let's start inking it, and then let's decide what the colors should be, and then let's decide, you know, what size we get it printed printed at or whatever. You know, it's very, uh, you know, I, I just find it's important to stay moving, and the worst parts are when you when you stop, and yeah. if you get hung up on something, I'll get hung up on it for way too long, so I'd rather just like think of anything. I mean, for me, almost 
any idea is a good idea until I have a better idea. So That's if, great, I'm, yeah. if, I, if I'm working on a song and I'm writing a course and I don't think that course is as good as it can be, well, that course is staying until I think of a better course. And I'm not going to just sit there and bang my head against the wall thinking of that course. I'm just going to like work on the verse for a little bit and add some more production or some loops or maybe try some background vocal parts that make the course work differently or something and have you know a call and response thing or a chant somewhere or whatever now how does that translate when you're mixing like say a tone isn't as good as you think it should be i try to work as much in the box as i can um so i mean i'm i'm changing tones until the day i'm handing in the masters (laughs) same here a lot of the time i mean there's so many we've been literally doing we we're always up against the gun it's everything's always last minute everything you know people always need things yesterday and then a week later they're asking they're asking you for the same files that they already have all over again and you know it's (laughs) (laughs) you know i'm rushing me last week it's not sleeping for 36 hours straight because they say they need it by 2 p.m and then i find out that like that was their soft deadline and they don't need it till like thursday you know (laughs) later in the week or something you know joey's got a really brilliant way of handling that oh what do you do wait remind me what it is before (laughs) you don't give a shit when they're like it needs to be done at two o'clock you're like cool then you just turn it in three days later and then it's just like fuck off yeah well (laughs) you know where i got that from i got that from colin richardson the guy just does not give a shit about (laughs) any of that because all he cares about is what it sounds like yeah and uh i try to do that wherever i can liberally you know but of course some people get pissed off and and go somewhere else with their business but i'm just like i don't give a shit I, i mean i think it's important to set precedent and um i i try to do that just in ways of like not making myself too accessible Sometimes, if I wait a day to respond to everybody's email, then everyone just expects that I take a day to respond to their email. Right. You know, but if, but if I respond to everyone's email within five minutes of getting it, then they're all like, why aren't you replying to my email yet? <laughs> yeah, you used to respond five minutes. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, you know, on my business cards, I usually don't give out my cell number and stuff like that because I don't want to be too accessible. Like if I'm if I'm on vacation and they can't reach me, it's not my fault that I can't get them the file. <laughs> but, yeah. but, oh, but, I love that. But if I can see, you know, all the text messages coming in and on my phone, I'm driving to the studio in a panic, you know, trying not to, uh, you know, sabotage someone's album project. <laughs> I turn off my phone on the weekends and when I go on vacation, I completely disconnect myself from the internet and if you have a problem guess what <laughs> that's good that's good i mean i i mean i'd like to do that i mean if i didn't have to have a phone i i, I wouldn't i i hate them <laughs> I, I i i hate being accessible <laughs> hey guys al here and i just want to take a moment to talk to you about this month on nail the mix if you're already a subscriber thank you so much we appreciate the hell out of you but if you're not and you want to seriously up your mixing game then you might want to consider Nail the Mix this month. We have a guest mixer, Mr. Kane Cherko, and he will be mixing Face Everything and Rise by Papa Roach. And when you subscribe, you get the multi-tracks that he recorded and produced. Uh, you download them. You can enter a mix competition uh, with prizes by McDSP. You get an Emerald Pack version 6. That's like a... $1,600 software package. Plus, um, the winner also gets one year of the Everything Bundle from Slate. So really, really good prize package for 
uh, our mixed competition winners. We've also got a second place package that rules. And uh, yeah, if you join Nail the Mix, you also get bonus access to our exclusive community, which is other audio uh, professionals and aspiring professionals just like you who just dork out on this stuff all day and night and love spreading knowledge. It's troll-free. And so whether you're noob or experienced, it's a great place to just come talk about the thing we all share, which is a love for audio. So once again, if um, you haven't subscribed to Nail the Mix yet, this might be a great month to try. Um, you get to learn how Kane Cherko mixed the number one single Face Everything and Rise by Papa Roach. Just go to nailthemix.com slash Papa Roach. That's nailthemix.com slash Papa Roach. Actually, I'll tell you a funny story. So Trapped had done this acoustic album. I might, might as well drop name. <laughs> and I had mastered it. And um, I went to Russia and I told them, I'm like, guys, I'm going to Russia for a month and a half. Okay. Like, uh, not like, you know, I'm not going to be available, period. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, make sure you let your label know that. And they checked the DDP. Well, he, Chris told me to switch one of the tracks on it, you know, and I get back and I've got like a hundred freak out texts from Chris. And I'm like, yeah, so I can get it now that I'm back. But had you actually emailed me when I was in Russia, I could have had my assistant do it. But, you know, there you go. So I, it got resolved and it was fine. But you know what I mean? It, it's just like, it's it's amazing how little things like, oh, we forgot to check the DDP label. And, yeah. um, and you it's know, always the label side. It's, yeah, it's, they you always know, fuck the, it up. They're always the ones asking for the, the, the instrumental or the TV mix nine months later when they should have asked for it in the first place. And what, it, was, it wasn't even in the contract. And now I'm, they just want a free you know alternate <laughs> alternate, ver alternate version of the mix nine months later and you're trying to figure out how to re even recall some plugin that doesn't doesn't work the same way or whatever and pulling an old old system up and you know yeah it's amazing how much the world doesn't actually end <laughs> you yeah, know? I know it doesn't it doesn't for sure all right so okay and this is how this is gonna go down i'm gonna call off a thing like snare drum or something like that and then you're going to divulge whatever you'd like to about how you would record it and then how you would mix it like whatever your chains are your favorite things or any cool tricks or anything okay you don't have to give away anything that you don't want to but yeah, sure. the more you sh the more you share the more uh happy cool points you get <laughs> i don't know yep. <laughs> yeah just go for your go-to cool yeah Okay, so here we go. Snare drum. I like low, deep snares. We'll often tune the snare so low that if you hit it too hard, it's going to break. Um, I, I just like it to smack and kind of punch through, almost like an electronic snare drum. So tuning-wise, that's what I usually gravitate towards, too, if I'm recording the snare drum or picking out a sample. There's probably not a single mix that I don't use Slate Trigger on in some way, mixing some, some of my samples in with a song. So that's definitely a go-to. And, you know, the little, little DFX light on there doesn't hurt either. <laughs> I, okay, vocals. Vocals. I am so consistently regular with what I do that I've pretty much used an Avalon 737 and a Distressor on most vocals I've recorded for the past 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if it works, it works, right? Totally. I mean, we got a couple extra things, like maybe uh, this re retro S compressor that's, that's cool that we'll use uh, from time to time. But typically that, uh, we got these Peluso mics that we use a lot for, for vocals that we've used for years. If it's a rock vocal with maybe more uh, a more abrasive voice, uh, it never hurts to do a SM7 uh, broadcast microphone. Cool. And um, yeah, 
those are my two go-tos for sure. Doesn't your dad, like, I remember reading an article, he likes, uh, what is it, Waves Max Volume on his vocals or something like that? We used to use that. I don't think we've used that as much these days, but we, we've used that in the past. Um, we always have some sort of parallel compression going. Um, or I love, like, compressor plugins that have a mix knob. Really, any plugin with a mix knob, I freaking love because um, I can just slam every setting and just di- dial it into how I like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, distorted, heavy, rhythm, electric guitars. I love this Kemper Profiler that, that, that we use a lot. Um, we, both, we both have one. And um, for me, I just got so many sounds in there that I like and I, that I know that I like. And if someone has anything cool gear-wise, like some cool head or amp that they bring, I, I model it on day one, and I'll do the test with them and A-B it for them and try to see if they can pick out which one's the real one and which one's the, the modeled one, and uh, they've never been able to do it. <laughs> so I prefer that, and, and in the box choices, like maybe Pod Farm or something, just because the flexibility and mix-wise, I want to be able to—I'm mixing as I produce, and I'm mixing as I record, and I'm mixing through my master chain, and I'm— I'm trying to listen to how it's going to be in the end from day one. Um, you got a favorite pod farm amp? Good question. I I probably do. I think I think I like. I mean, I use that one a lot for bass actually, and I think it's the the, the Jaguar amp in there that's I, lo- I love on bass a lot. But every project we do, I always keep presets of everything and make presets of everything. So so I'm always like deferring, like, oh, let me use you know this tone from whatever album the, <laughs> and using my own, pre- <laughs> my own presets over and over again. So That's awesome. We do that a lot too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you blend it differently and I might combine, you know, the, the double tracks or the Papa Roach guitar tone, but the, but the main tracks are the in this moment tone and it makes something different that for that album or whatever. And, you know, you go with what works, but then you, you try to improve it. Sweet. What about bass? Even though you already kind of touched on it slightly. Yeah. Uh, I mean... I just want a good, clean DI. I just want to make sure that signal's as clean and unaffected as it can be um, so I can experiment as much as I can later. A lot of the times, to be honest, when I'm recording, I'm thinking less about the tones, just kind of knowing in my head that um, I can try different amp- a million different amp options later. So usually I'm just getting things to a point where people aren't offended by the tones and they can live, live with them while, while tracking. And uh, and then when they leave, then I'm then I'm flipping through all the options and hopefully finding something that they like better too or whatever and just flexibility anything that has flexibility for for bass and bass and guitars. Okay, cymbals. Cymbals. I usually record all my cymbals, including a hi hat, separate from the kit. So I'll record just kick and snare and toms, and then just hi hat and then just cymbals. So that way I can mix them as loud as I want or as quiet as I want wherever I want. Um, and I can still slam the rooms on the rest of the kit as much as I want and all that kind of stuff. So, so we, we kind of, it's kind of like the, uh, the manual way of programming a kit, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, uh, if, that, if that makes sense. Um, so I think that contributes a lot to... Do you have a favorite pair of cymbal mics? You know, I, 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 I don't. I don't. I mean, I can't even remember what we have up there now. We, we, we've switched stuff out from time to time. If I was, if I was over by the room, I'd, I'd, I'd tell you, but... Uh, what I was using last, but the funny thing is we've never had even a tremendous amount of like gear that we don't use. So it's always just come down to like, here's the best mic we have now. <laughs> and then when we get the next one, you know, we move to something, something slowly better or we, you know, we try something different, but I always, always use, you know, stereo overheads mo- with a mono overhead in the middle. Um, and then just, I think recording them separate just allows me lots of flexibility with the tone. And, you know, there's a big reason our drums, I think, sound the way they do. And there's the clarity where you can hear every ride hit, you can hear every splash, you can hear every, every hat hit. And, 
even if they're just playing the foot hat, I can get it super loud and it doesn't bring all the other mess up and stuff. So to me, that's even more important than the mic because we've, we've used crappy mics and we've used good mics and done gold records with both. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And last but not least, mastering chain. Uh, I am a masterer's worst enemy. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, for some reason, mastering guys just just they just don't like me. And um, Joey and I master our own stuff too. And yeah. you know, I, and they never seem to get along with me. I always say something wrong that offends them. And you know, <laughs> they're, you uh, killed you know. my snare, asshole. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think it, my it's my nature to sort of be an anti an anti purist. So uh, I think I think masters a lot of the time come from more of a purist angle of technicality. Whereas I'm like, if it sounds good, it's it's good. If it, you know, if it if I like it, and it's exactly how I want it, then that's the way I want it. You know, or so. Yeah, they get mad at that kind of stuff. They, they do. I mean, every master I've talked to, and, and, and I would love to find the master that like gives me something that's like way better than what I have. But um, anytime I've even had to do tests willingly or unwillingly, it just comes back slightly different, and usually not different in a way that I don't want. And I'm thinking of so many things. Like I said, while I'm mixing, I'm usually mixing through a stereo bus with my mastering tools on it, mastering in the box. So the mix, the finished print of the mix is the finished master, and it sounds exactly how I want it. So if if anything changes compression-wise about anything, I I notice it. And I'm like, well, that's not the mix anymore. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, for me, a master, the master is going to hate this even more if I say this. Hopefully, I don't offend anybody that I that I know that I do like because I do have mastering friends, <laughs> but <laughs> not anymore. No, <laughs> not many. But but you know, in the modern way of recording, in the digital way, in the box way of recording, a masterer to me is almost a guy that mixes mixes one stereo track. It's almost almost a mixer that mixes one stereo track. So the way I see it is, if I'm mixing a 200 track session. Why can't I be responsible for mixing my stereo master? Makes sense. You know, even time-wise, I can't even imagine most of the time having it be part of my workflow to send something out because I'm changing the mix until I hand in the master. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't even have time to wait on something back or to, to get them to take something out last minute. Amen. You know, and, you know, and I think most of the time, most of the time, our choice to master our stuff has come from reactive necessity. Um, as as opposed to wanting to do it, I mean, I, I hate mastering other people's stuff. It's it's a nightmare. It's like the worst thing worst thing ever. <laughs> so back to what you said about being able to make gold records with good mics or bad mics. You know, I've heard that sort of thing from lots of different guys. I think that you're not alone in that sentiment, and also guys who have no problem mixing big records on stock plugins. How important yeah. do you think good gear is, or do you think that's secondary to everything else? I think good gear is more important when you're at um, a much more sophisticated level of working. You know, in the beginning, it's very, it's not important. I mean, it's, it's a tough question because, yeah, will a better piece of gear to someone that knows how to use, use that piece of gear properly make something better? Yeah, it will. For for the listener, will it make it more interesting? Maybe maybe not. You know, will it always make it better? No, it won't. I don't think I don't think there's one piece of gear that makes everything better 100% of the time, no matter how expensive or vintage or romantically cool it is. You know, there's just a different tool can be the right tool for the jo- for the job every time you got to do that job. So, for me at this point in even production, I really think I can make a hard rock record with 
one or two microphones, one microphone to record hi-hat and one microphone to record vocals. <laughs> and you, you, you give me a Kemper profiler and just, you know, whatever my, my mic pre set up. And I think I can make, I could, I, you know, I could have made Face Everything and Rise like that. I could have made most of the records I've done the last few years like that if I, if I had to. Now, that being said, of course, I have a studio with, you know, more stuff and, you know, more options and all that and all that and things to make the process faster. I wouldn't be able to produce a record as fast on a laptop with one mic as I would having what we have, but um, I think I can make it creatively as good, and you know, even in some in a lot of ways, probably sonically a, a, as good. I mean, just because I'm in the box anyway. So it's more just a workflow thing. More gear equals more stations and more chances for efficiency. Yeah, I, I mean, I think for us at this point, when we buy gear, it's never because we need it at this point. It's because we just want to try something different, maybe. Maybe we're just bored. We, we know we've recorded our drums the same way for the last two years, and we're like, well, what's the drum, the trickle drum sound of 2016 going to be? You know, let's just experiment. Let's tune our snare a little higher this time. Let's try, you know, just making a different batch of samples and, you know, and, and, and stuff like that. But, you know, the reality is, is we've, the first two Death Punch records Dad did, he recorded in uh, a house that we lived in in Vegas. The drums were set up in the dining room. There was mics in the kitchen. And, you know, everything was the cheapest of everything that we pretty much had. But Dad was an awesome mixer, and he knows how to work Pro Tools better than, in, than anybody on a mixing level. And he made, made it work. <laughs> and we've done albums where we've had one mic. I mean, you know, when we... If we're talking like even 10 years ago when we're new to the States and stuff, we didn't have a lot of gear. We didn't have a proper room. We didn't have, you know, dad was doing mixes on headphones and having drives be sent to him. And we're just always, um, you know, working by ourselves and reverse engineering something and figuring out how to play something we can't and and stuff. So it's like, yeah, gear, gear gives you better options. It'll make something maybe technically better. It's maybe some gears more fun to use. But if I could have a plugin for everything, I would use that plugin. And if, that plugin had one knob. I would use that one knob plugin. <laughs> <laughs> so really, at the end of the day, the, it all comes down to the skill of the user. That's what really matters. I think nowadays it does. I mean, obviously, there's different kinds of producers. You know, there's, there's you know, someone like me. I'm kind of a glorified bedroom producer in a sense that. You know, I grew up working in bedrooms and working out of home studio environments, and then eventually we had a commercial spot, spot, but our commercial spot is streamlined for us, you know, to the point where, like, we have our patch bay in a central spot, so I can use the same gear in Dad's control room from my control room, and any room can re record through the drum preamps that are already set up just by switching at the, 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 at the patch bay and stuff. So we just kind of, you know, we're, it's, we're still very much set up for just our flow. And just keeping things going. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's no piece of gear in my head right now that I'm like, oh, I wish I had that so I could do this with it. Like, anything I feel like I want to do or I can imagine in my head, I could do with whatever you give me. <laughs> that makes sense. And I'll, I'll, I'll figure out a way. <laughs> how did you get to the point where it doesn't matter what you're working on? Uh, have you? Is it from working on multiple different environments or is it having tons of reference material or is it just having a dad to learn from who's awesome i'm sure it's a mix of both but you know i i think lots of it's just sort of experience of working with what you have and for for me um you know i'm a songwriter because i liked to spend time by myself and when i got got got, got home from guitar lessons i was like let me 
be alone in my room and write a song. And, and I started singing just because I didn't know any singers and I wanted to write songs and I had to record them. So I had to learn kind of how to sing and I had to learn how to play any instrument with Pro Tools because I was mostly like, I was pretty isolated growing up, actually. I mean, I, I grew up, uh, my teenage years, I grew up in Switzerland um, and it was all French speaking there. Uh, when I moved there, so I, I couldn't really speak to anybody. <laughs> um, and and we had a bomb shelter in our house because every studio or every uh, every house uh, has a bomb shelter in Switzerland. And Dad brought a Pro Tools rig from Mutt's Mutt Studio when I was fourteen, and I've had Pro Tools for fifteen years <laughs> since since I was fourteen. And, and because of that, I've just you know I've only ever had one mic most of my life, so I had to learn how to use that one mic to do everything I needed to do. I won't, I've only ever had one preamp most of the time, or you know. A limitation of tools, you know. You're, so you learn, you know, you learn how to solve problems with other things. You, you learn, you know, from mixing other people's songs that are like a horrible bedroom recording, maybe or something. You learn how to make a horrible bedroom recording sound like it was done in an expensive studio. And when you have something even moder- moderately well done, you can make it sound amazing. <laughs> Do you think that beginners obsessing over gear and plugins is misprioritization? Yes. I do, I do, and and maybe that's just the songwriter in me. Um, but I mean, I think you know. I mean, I've you know, I think there's a lot to be learned from even like worlds like the hip hop world, where it's it's generally less less of a tech, technical approach to uh, to songwriting, making tracks, and it's more, let's say, instinctive and reactive. And it's sometimes just a guy mouthing a beat, and then a guy just recreates that beat on on a you know a drum loop or whatever, and. If you have a good hook idea, if you if you're if you have whip whip nay nay, it's gonna be a great song or it's gonna be a, a product and it doesn't take engineering that properly or having a hundred tracks in it to make it sellable or to make it interesting for whoever the whoever the market is. Um, I you know I think I mean yeah sure if I was recording uh, classical music I I would love to be able to record live string sections through all the best quality gear but I mean with with pop music, with with rock music, I think you can do so much with almost nothing, <laughs> and it it really just comes down to does it feel good when you when you play it for someone? Does it make their head bob? Does it make them smile? Does you know is is does someone go fuck yeah I love that you know I mean I'm so used to like writing with my friends and stuff where they'll bring me an idea or I'll bring them an idea or my my dad too, and you know we can sing a chorus to each other that doesn't even have words, but Sometimes it just either feels like it's a catchy, awesome chorus or not, even without the words. And if you just have that, you already have, to me, half of the hard part really done. And the, and the recording part is just like going through the motions and, you know, figuring out how to get to a, to a finished product. But, I mean, I, I, the idea is king. The song is king. You can have a crappy recording and a great song, and it will trump an awesome recording of a crappy song every time, I yep. think. So... Yeah, ab- absolutely. Well, th- I think that's all the questions I've got. Do you guys have anything else? I'm good. Killer. Kane, thank you for coming on and doing two episodes with us and being so oh, thanks for having me. open and awesome. And no, no, it's cool. I mean, I love what you guys are doing. And uh, I've, I've learned a lot myself from watching videos and, and, and stuff on the net, podcasts and stuff too, just like, just like these. I mean, I, I love that. I love that stuff. So I think uh, anyone out there, Doing that is doing the right thing for sure by listening to to what you guys are doing and um, taking the taking the tips that apply to them and finding out new ways to do things and 
I mean, even even myself, I find I work in a bubble so much where I don't I don't really know other, how other people do stuff. I don't even know what's unique about how I do stuff because I just don't know what other people do. And I think um, these kind of platforms are just great to be able to to see all that and and learn more than what you're audio school teachers teaching you or the studio you're interning at is teaching you and just finding new new better ways because there's always a new better way (laughs) for sure well you know you might not know what other people are doing but you definitely know what you like for sure i mean i'm i'm an asshole about knowing what i like where i feel like i know what i like so specifically that i hate anything that's not that <laughs> that's and, strong man you know that's but i think that's you know that's how i approach making hopefully you know good, good songs or whatever is uh you know i don't listen to a lot of the music that i do st- like style wise i'm not a hard rock music listener to be honest i but i approach it from like how do i make someone like this band that has never listened to this band or hasn't bought their previous record how do i make everyone else like it that doesn't already like it and you know I'm, I, I find I usually fall into that category. So once I get around to liking it, you know, I find, you know, usually other people do. <laughs> other people do, too. If, if you love something, other people, someone else is going to love it, too. And you just got to kind of trust that and find those people. <laughs> for sure. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, it was awesome. Thanks, Thanks again. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Mick DSP, professional audio plugins. For over 15 years, Mick DSP has continued producing industry acclaimed and award winning software titles. Visit mcdsp.com for more information. The podcast is also brought to you by Slate Digital. All the pro plugins, one low monthly price. Visit slatedigital.com for more information. Thank you for listening to the Unstoppable Recording machine podcast to ask us questions make suggestions and interact visit urm.academy slash podcast and subscribe today